0: Giving us a five star review is the equivalent of swiping right on the Son of a Pitch podcast on Tinder. So if you like the sexy, dulcet tones of Max and Vince in your earholes, you know what to do. Give us a five star review and a little sexy comment. Cheers.
1: Yeah, uh, son of a pitch. Yeah, this is something you don't want to miss. Interviews with creatives and the best strategists. All the top in Australia who's steady making moves. Uh The podcast that puts you right in the pitch room. Yeah, professionals in this market. Uh, Time to get it started. Uh, Giving some complex problems, so let's see how you can solve it. Tune in with some Aussies. I bet you can't resist. Yeah, yeah. Get it hyped. This is Son of a Pitch. Dylan, you son of a Pitch. You
2: are listening to another episode of the Son of a Pitch podcast. And on this episode, we went to the back blocks of Erskineville to sit down at a little cafe and talk with two of Australia's most well respected creatives. And that is Dan Gregory of the Gruen Transfer, that you might know, and Kieran Flanagan. Now, Dan Gregory and Kieran Flanagan have had. A great career together. They started in ad school, worked their way through VCD, which is another Australian legendary agency that doesn't exist anymore, but was absolutely amazing. Um, and are now running a bit of a consultancy called the Impossible Institute. So what's that about? From what I've copied and pasted from their website, uh, the
0: Impossible Institute is a strategic think tank of sorts that helps leaders, teams and organizations be people smart and make change positive. But what's even more interesting than where they work is the, their pitch response. And their pitch response was to revive Mr. Whippy, Australia's beloved ice cream delivery truck. A business that went under recently, but uh, has come back. And uh, Dan and Kieran helped us relaunch Mr. Whippy to the hearts and minds of the Australian public. Dan and Kieran also have a book coming out. Here's our promotion to our three listeners of the Son of a Pitch podcast. They have a book called Forever Skills, where you can help... Uh, remain relevant
2: in the workforce and future-proof yourself in the future. That's it. it to hear more about the way that Dan and, and Kieran think, let's just jump straight into the pod. We are talking today to some of the titans of the Australian advertising industry, I would say. Titans, yes. They Did look very surprised.
3: You <laughs> <laughs> called us fat, Dan. We,
2: we haven't point. done that yet, but we are here with, with Kieran Flanagan and Dan Gregory of the Impossible Institute. Uh,
3: Hello. Nice to meet you. Hello. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having us. Uh,
2: so I guess the reason why we've got you here today is to kind of get a, a, a grip on where some of the stalwarts of the industry got their start and their history, um, just so that people can kind of understand what might be in store for them if they choose a career in advertising. Probably starting with you, Kieran, can you give us a bit of a, a background on where you started, how you got into the industry, and uh, what drew you into this this amazing thing?
3: Yes, it's a yeah, very interesting industry. Do you know what? I, st- I guess you could say stumbled into advertising, as I think a lot of people do. I was studying a design degree at university. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and we had to do a team project, and one of the girls in the team was extremely passionate about going to interview Simon Reynolds uh, at the time. Who's Simon Reynolds? Simon Reynolds. Oh, Simon will be devastated. Naivety on this one. Simon will be devastated that you don't know Simon. Uh, he was at the, one of the youngest creative directors at the time. He was the, the youngest. creative He did the director Grim the Reaper campaign, the AIDS oh, campaign. Yes. He was very young. Uh, he put a double I in his name that made him notoriously uh, well known, so infamous. That Grim
4: Reaper parades campaign made it impossible for a sixteen-year-old boy to get laid.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I could see that that would scare yeah. the. the which is a conversation I have <laughs> had
0: with
4: Simon
2: since. <laughs> probably didn't do too much for bowling in
0: Australia either.
3: Mm. Oh, maybe yeah, but they probably could because you know virtual bowling, knocking down demons, would combine mm. game of games with bowling. It could actually be really good. Uh, so I just went along to interview Simon with the group and my group suddenly decided they were all terrified and I ended up doing all the speaking to him and literally in that conversation I had with him, I went, oh my gosh, I want to do this career. It sounds joyful, it sounds Easy, not in the sense of not hard work, but it sounded like all my skills. Because I, I was like, I really enjoy the design part, but I like to think and I like to problem solve. But no one ever said, oh, there's a job where you can problem solve essentially for And it's job. funny,
4: it's where design's kind of moved to now. Yeah. You know, design thinking is very much moved to that space, but at the time it kind of wasn't. It yeah, was so seemed as more of a visual.
3: He, you know, he said, do award school. And so my last year of university, I did. And I literally got a job pretty much straight out of, well, I didn't ever have a job interview, really. Uh, it was, you know, I did really well at it. I, day one, loved it. It was like, this is my thing. Yeah. So, that, it was sort of random, but I had an instant knowing that it combined my, I think, what I loved spending my time and energy doing.
2: So, were you, were you heavily an art director at the start of your career, or did, did you lean in, in, into that aspect? Well,
3: I had a design degree, so technically, although most people uh, tend to think I'm a writer, Got it. So, I, I, wonderful. I, I think they're quite, I personally think they're quite blended disciplines, and, mm. and the division can sometimes, I think, be slightly annoying. Because yeah. for me, they, they come together. You're telling a story, you're creating a communication that moves an opinion, and for me, they work together. So, I, and I guess having the technical skill to do the design part helps as well. But I, you know, I used to worry when we were hiring teams, we worried less about the division. Uh, and more about their ability to think, because sometimes you go, we could just get, we can, you know, outsource the final design or the, you know, the artwork in the studio and things. Anyway, so I think it's that that thinking ability that distinguishes really great advertising people.
2: Mm. And Dan, mm-hmm. how did you get into the industry? Um, in in
4: a similar way, actually. I, I my degree, I did a communications degree. Um, and the base of that was psychology, sociology and philosophy. And and at the time, I wanted to be an editorial cartoonist. So that was kind of what I, I thought I'd do. And there, and, and like Kieran, I'd sort of seen... Um, so I was, you know, finishing high school when the, the AIDS Grim Reaper campaign came out. And Simon was sort of all of a sudden in the media. Um, and I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. So uh, I had a great network if I wanted to have a car stolen or if I wanted... <laughs> if i wanted to become a tow truck driver but not really i knew no one in advertising no, you know that was that was a very eastern suburbs lower north shore world and you know still is a little still bit is. that way yeah, yeah. um so i so one of the things i did so i started calling uh simon reynolds every day for six months just to have a chat about how to um you know how this industry worked and i was just curious, and, and um, so yeah, likewise, I, I connected with Simon initially. That's funny, um, both of us Simon. Yeah, uh, but I think that's true of a lot of people of that of that time. Is he was kind of the the person who had the highest profile in advertising at the time. He was kind of the the John Singleton mm. of that generation, you know. Whereas you know previously John had kind of been the you know the the, the public face of, of advertising. And um, yeah, had a really great chat to him, and you know he recommended um, two bookstores. In the eastern suburbs that I'd never heard of to go and buy annuals from and and to see what great work was. He said, "Look, at the moment your 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 head is filled with advertising reference, but it's all shit. Mm. Um, fill it with some good stuff, and then um, and he recommended award school. Again, another thing I'd never heard of. Um, and so that kind of that kind of started. And then then I did um, uh, award school back in the um, back in the 19, early 1990s and graduated in the top 10 and then uh, George Betts, who sort of became Kieran and my first business partner was running a ward school masterclass for you know the top 10 students out of a ward school got to do that
2: wow
0: and um, how did stand-up comedy come into the picture? Did you get into that?
3: <laughs> uh, advertising
2: was that or Have you always we, been a bit of a clown? Yeah.
0: No, no, no. It, was
3: mean, <laughs> it was his mean co-workers who told him he was, he was a shit presenter and he mm. needed to fix that. There's we had a culture of front-stabbing, so there was nowhere to front hide. Stabbing. We call yeah. it front-stabbing. Like you come at someone with a knife and you let them know uh, what they need to work on.
4: Yeah, and it well, it kind of happened mid career. So I'd kind uh, um I'd been working with with Kieran and George for you know, the first decade, my twenties really. Um, and then uh, and I'd never had a holiday. So I'd never had a holiday in my adult life. And I was I was a terrible presenter and I was re- I was I was a bit burned out. And George and Kieran bought me a round the world air ticket and basically said Go off and do stand-up comedy. We wanted to
3: get rid of him, actually. Come, come. Yeah. For but a little while. you will never come back. <laughs> um,
4: come and back so I spent while. I spent three years travelling around the US and, and the UK and European comedy circuits, and, and I'd come back and, and work with George and Kieran for a month or two in between, because the visa thing's interesting, because you sort of get three-month performance visas, and then you have to leave the country. So it gave me a reason to to come back as well. And, and it... it you know you know Kieran isn't over exaggerating when I was probably one of the the worst presenters it, it was it was it was more than a weakness it was a disability um, and um, <laughs> I
3: don't think we actually said that to you but no,
4: yeah. no 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 but in no I don't mean disability as in as in, as in uh, a mental impairment but I mean a disability in, in that it it absolutely impaired a critical function in my in my career um, and and didn't allow me to function in the way I should have. Um, and, and for me, stand up comedy was like training at altitude. You know, once you've done three years where you're in front of multiple audiences a week um, and they're far harsher than any corporate boardroom's going to be you end up bulletproof. And you also learn how to move with the, with the room and understand, you know, and because and my, my feeling is what defines a culture is what makes us laugh and what makes us angry. And sometimes those things flip going from one town to another or one part of a city to another. And so being able to read the room and, and, and learn how to communicate persuasively and effectively is really is, is really useful. And I think stand-up is a great tool of insight. You know, it's it's kind of... If you watch great comedians, the ones who do the best are the ones who I think are the most insightful and they can they can look at a, a, a social phenomena and comment on it in a way where everyone goes,
2: oh, my God, that's so true, but we've never seen it before. Mm. That makes total sense. And I've, I've actually seen quite a lot of strategy people, creatives, start to learn comedy uh, since. I, I think... It's actually, yeah, I, I see all the time people doing comedy classes these days to be able to get that exact skill, which is to be able to find those insights that are quite funny and quite unique and quite novel about the world.
4: Yeah. I, I also think it's about understanding the skills. Like, you know, it's, I mean, it, I, mean it's, I, I cannot overemphasize how bad I was as a presenter. Like, it's, I, I feel like I'm, I'm not really emphasizing how atrocious <laughs> I was. I mean, it was really, really bad. And what I realized was, you know, 20% of our work is developing strategies and, and creative and mm. communications, but 80% of our work is selling that to clients and yeah, selling it totally. through clients and creating engagement internally before it ever goes out and becomes external communication. So, I think that was...
3: Yeah, and I think a lot of people in this business don't fundamentally understand their job if that makes sense. So a lot of a massive part of your job is to get your client promoted and famous. Mm-hmm. So we did well as a small agency with very large clients because we early on understood that a big chunk of our role was making their job really easy and making them Look good. Look good. So we'd go, oh, we'll we'll do that document for you. We'll write the strategy. Would would it be helpful if we did that? Mm. And what it meant was those people became globally promoted and our ability to hold big clients grew, which is unusual in a small agency. But again, it's a strategy piece. It's actually understanding the function you have. And selling is so important, not just to the end consumer, but to the team and the people you're working with.
2: Mm. So this can change in different agencies, right? Some yeah. agencies have, have account managers who are just incredible yeah. um, people who sell like crazy. like They just know how to sell that work and get that creative work over the line. And sometimes that can be a massive determinant as to whether or not an agency is successful because a lot of the ideas get killed before they even reach the client because people are too afraid to to pitch them in. Um, where did you guys link up at the start? And, and was that... Was that a kind of factor of that agency at the time?
3: So we linked up in Masterclass, which where they mm-hmm. George Betzes took the best students out of award school over a couple of different years. So he then hired, he basically it was early survivor. Uh, every week he'd vote people off. The class. Pardon what? Hard school, hardcore. Okay, we need to talk
2: about this. So So yeah, it was old school. This is cutthroat. This sounds like before a TV show happened. You like a rose?
0: No, he
3: just he just at the end of the end of the class, throw people out. He'd go, you know what, the people not coming back next week are, and he would slowly eliminate. He was doing it for free,
4: like they weren't paying. Sure, totally. he had a bit of fun with it. Well, no, he was
3: recruiting. Right, right, right. He was well, a he really cared about young talent, but b he knew he wanted to open an agency. And he went, I don't want to spend a lot of money on people. Therefore, I'm going to torture test uh, to find the people that will survive. So, I, at the time, was running. My parents had a news agency. I was finishing uni. I was running their business because they were overseas traveling. So, I was, you know, whatever. I was 21, running, running a business, finishing uni and doing uh, advertising school. And my grandfather was really sick in hospital. <laughs> and uh my uh two sisters and i were sharing responsibility to go and see him anyway he passed away which is very sad uh on one of the mornings i had to go and present and george if you didn't show up you were automatically out nah. so i didn't have his number <laughs> so i went literally I, and i was late and if you were late you were thrown out as well so he looked at me and was like you're late ready to throw me out and i did cry, I must say. I did use tears. I didn't intentionally use tears. Uh, and I said, oh, my grandfather died today. And he went, oh, okay, well, just sit down. But he, later he said, in that moment, I knew you were hardcore. Mm-hmm. I knew if you sh- showed up when your grandfather mm-hmm. died mm-hmm. that you were a keeper. I think th-
4: I maybe suggested getting rid
3: of you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Dan was already working with him. So, it just became, you know, but when it was something you love, um, I just went, I'll just go in and present and then I can go back home. So, but for him, it was, again, really smart thinking was how do I, how do I test these people out? So, that's essentially where we Not met. just
4: for talent, but for passion. Mm, yeah. As well, I, and, and I think that was that was what it was really about. Is is it's really hard, you know, when you're hiring people, you, someone comes in with a with a portfolio or a or a, a resume and a history of work, and it's really hard to test their character and see how they perform under under duress. And I think that's what made, you know, Masterclass really good was it is you got a sense of of what people's character was, who you could rely on, what you know how people reacted under pressure. And I think that was really useful. I'd done masterclass the year before, mm. so I was working with George mm. at the time, and that Kieran did masterclass, and then Kieran and Eric were try. sort of hired as the next two uh, employees of VCD, the agency at the time. Mm. So, so that's kind of how we met, and and then I think it was, um, I think it was about. There were a lot of loose partnerships in those days, working working with different people. There wasn't it wasn't like fixed teams, and I think what Kieran and I discovered early on is we uh, we think almost in, in an entirely opposite way. However, we move at the same pace, and that was I think what Kieran and I skip across the surface of ideas very very quickly, and a lot of people are, were more. They'd go from one idea and then drill deep, go to another idea, drill deep. And, we've, and Kieran and I found that really frustrating in the same way they found us, you know, skipping across ideas really quickly Skits frustrating. frustrating. Mm, mm. And I think it was just a, a matter of going, well, okay, we're really different, which is useful. However, we can move at the same pace, which yes. means that the uh, the professional relationship worked.
0: So you, you would dig a hundred shallow
3: yeah. small holes. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. How about this? How about this? Mm. I was thinking this. I was thinking this. We'd hold a vast array In our heads at a time. How
0: did you know when you tapped into something really special?
3: Oh, look, it's always that question, right? Is it's it's intuition. It's it's a combination of intuition, logic, uh, and letting it sit overnight. Which you know, with deadlines the way they are in the business is sadly somewhat lost sometimes. I think it's just uh, it's it's almost you know it's almost if you had a Venn diagram, something happens when you get that magic meeting of you go is it is it interesting and insightful yeah is it does it make people feel something and does it feel right and does it feel right for that brand yeah because again that's it you can have a great idea that's just not right for a brand Mm -hmm. and you just go it's great but it doesn't fit and it doesn't fit with the company and the culture so you you're sort of turning we belong to something called thought leaders business school we talk about twisting knobs on a safe to get them into cl- into place and I think advertising is like that too you're sort of turning dials and you're going oh it's too funny or mm. it's not funny enough or it's not. you know you're turning all these dials that you have at your disposal and when they click you go yeah that's that's going to work
2: and now it's time for a break are you a creative soul who feels crushed by the irrepressible reality of hilarious delusion you live in every day of your life? Perhaps you know more about Excel formatting than your significant other's private parts, resulting in a deep and throbbing pain emanating from your heart as you constantly ponder your sycophantic rise to the top of your organisational food chain. You may have even found yourself tapping your foot non-stop in the doctor's office as the pulsating flow of blood from your head convinces you that the work-related stress disease you read about in National Geographic one time is about to make your eyes pop from your skull atop a geyser of hot steam. Well, have I got a deal for you. Miami Ad School are offering a strategic planning boot camp that is almost sure to guarantee you a life filled with ever-changing, mind-bending creative challenges that help you make an actual difference within the world. Not only does it put you in touch with some of the world's best strategic minds, like the ones on this podcast, but you'll be investing in a chance to start your life anew. And the best thing? Given you're a loyal listener to the Son of a Pitch podcast, we'll waive your application fee so there's absolutely no risk to you whatsoever. Just email us at podcastsoap at gmail.com if you're interested. That's podcastsoap, S-O-A-P, podcastsoap at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the good stuff. So
4: I think that speed of communications does make it difficult now to... I was I was watching an interview the other day with a with a, um, a, a a British stand-up comedian, and he was saying, it's really hard to do comedy about controversial subjects now. Like, let let's say you want to talk about something like race relations or sure. immigration or you know anything that that sort of polarizes people. Now. He said, "You used to be able to to go on stage and test it from one audience to another, but now people film you with their phones, and an incomplete joke is broadcast in its first iteration, and it may not be
3: tweeted out across the universe Mm. as you're racist."
4: exactly and and that may not be the intent the intent may be to be to counter a racist point of view Mm. by demonstrating what racism looks like but of course if it's if it's done without context and it's broadcast in 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 a cut down version you don't get the full breadth of communication i think it's one of the risks that 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 the marketing industry faces in its communication strategy simply because you know, there is this pressure to respond very, very quickly and respond in the moment and engage in conversations. And it doesn't allow for uh, a lot of overnighting of, of, of thinking and nuance in, in language, which can actually be really important. Um, you know, and you've just got to watch the number of people who, who tweet something in um, an emotional state and then, you know, pay a price for that. And I think that that's uh, I know. I think
3: Twitter should be re- linked to a blood pressure app. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes, we've noticed that your heart rate is raised. Are you sure you want to tweet this? No one, no one would ever tweet.
4: It is. It's. It's the most angry social platform. It's. I. You know. I, I. mean. It's funny. I. I use it professionally, but I've. I've seriously thought about. Nah. I'm just going <laughs> to shut down all social media. Okay. It's just not worth it. <laughs> Other than commercial. Right. right. Yeah. Um, like like it's interesting Dan I enjoy likes reading fight, it. I do I do enjoy a fight I <laughs> like my arguing is my favorite thing in the world Yeah and sometimes Kieran, Kieran describes my humor as bait and weight like I will say something provocative and wait. and wait for someone to respond, just so I can wade in. And he
3: physically throws stuff because we do a lot, of, spend a lot of time on stage with uh, corporate speaking, sure. so we do a lot of conferences and things. And he throws things into the audience. He physically moves forward and leans into the audience, and then he leans back smugly and waits. To see how long it takes for it to for them to get it.
0: Smugly is a bit judgmental. But <laughs> smugly, because a lot of comedians do have a different approach to deal with yeah, yeah. hecklers. Like, like Jerry Seinfeld was notorious, like very nice to hecklers. Yeah. Mm. So how do people respond when you just sort of bait them and then and then you wait? Well, in
4: a, in a corporate audience, no one's very few people are going to heckle well, you. Odd hecklers. And,
0: and but they're certainly not
4: going to heckle you the way um, a comedian. But it's interesting. A lot of yeah. um, I, I I work with this brilliant Glaswegian comedian in. Yeah, well I was in Newcastle in England doing it, doing a gig and the um, this guy Stu Hu who was this um, he had to
3: be a comedian yeah. his parents didn't but
4: but he was you know he ma- not, he was not maybe he was maybe 50 <laughs> at the time like he'd been doing stand up comedy for a long time and I was mm. maybe 30 at the time and he said you've got a really interesting style he said most comedians get up and and go to the audience and try and ingratiate themselves with the audience. He said, you stand back and sort of say, fuck you, come to me. And and it was it was a real I'd never really seen it before, but when I sat back and Smart. thought about it, it was it was a really good observation. And I think it's um and it's it's relevant for how you present. Having an understanding of how you're perceived by people is actually quite rare. like like I was I was doing um I was doing an interview on on Sunrise with Jane Caro. Mm. And Jane and I and Kieran and, and, and Jane, we've been friends for a long time and we, we get along really well and we, re, we actually really like and respect each other. Um, and anyway, I'm doing, this, I'm doing this interview on Sunrise and my sister called me up later and said, um, oh, so you really hate that Jane Caro, don't you? I'm like, what? No, Jane and I are really good friends. And she said, well, dude, you've got resting bitch face because go and watch the interview. And, <laughs> and what I realised was when I'm listening intently to someone, I look furious. Like I'm, I'm really – like I've got – I do have that resting bitch face. And what it, But what it taught me was when I'm on screen and I'm listening to someone, I have to prompt myself to smile while I'm listening because otherwise I look like I hate the person.
3: Well, on panels and stuff all the time you have to yeah. as well because people Ooh. take photos.
4: But again, yeah, you don't, you don't realise how – always how you're perceived and a lot there's a lot of non-verbals in communication that you're not really conscious of
3: 90 percent or something is meant to yeah. be non-verbal and i'm not sure advertising people on the whole potentially do enough self-awareness work sometimes like you know and you know having worked with a lot of uh, juniors and things over the years you know giving them that understanding of how do you how do you take responsibility for communication on your side of the fence not mm. the client's an idiot. Mm. You go well. You know how do you, how do you have enough self awareness to go well? Actually, you didn't you didn't sell it? Yeah, it's not their job to buy it. It's your job to present it in a way that has value to them. And I think you know it's a big learning for all of us. It takes time, but I think you know there's always work to do on self awareness to go. You're potentially perceived this way. Go. You know, you're potentially coming across like this and you know it comes from making mistakes And you don't need
4: to change yourself and be fake about it but you do need to be conscious of it
3: yeah
4: mm. um and and uh, you know and, and as i said kieran and i have very different thinking styles but we've also got very different personality types and and one of us it, is likable one of it yeah yeah so <laughs> you Kira, can guess which one kieran kieran is paul mccartney i'm john lennon um Aww. one one is likable and cute and the other one is a oh. genius, um, <laughs> <laughs> and and, Ringo. And, oh, yeah. and dead, and 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 got shot. Um, <laughs> but no, I, but I think it's. I think having an awareness of that yeah. is really important. And uh. so even when I'm speaking to an audience, even before I said a word, a word, people look at me and think, "Wow, he looks really judgmental." So quite often I'll walk on stage and say, Max is I'll like, go you so <laughs> do. when we we're playing agreement. <laughs> no, but it's
3: unconscious, no. right? You can't sure. control it. He, totally you is. go but I smell I'm judgment. I'm big up
4: there. and I'm tall and I you know the, and, and the way I speak and, and, and my facial expressions connote that even if I'm not um, uh, and even when I'm arguing with people, my I'm always wanting them to argue back harder. Hmm. And people go, Oh, you're really confronting. I'll go. Well, well, no, I'm actually expecting you to do better than you're currently doing because I think you're capable of. So, it's actually the opposite of judgment, but it comes across as judgment. So, I think...
3: So, even though that was judgment, by the way, just so you know, I think you're better and capable no, of I th- more. No, I think they're, cap- <laughs> I think they're, better- I think they're capable of judgment. delivering more than what they are. So, you go, it's judgment to your improvement. No, that's good to judgment. Your improvement.
4: judgment. isn't a problem. <laughs> Being prejudging is a problem. Um but but I think I think having that, that level of self awareness and even understanding um, and I think we're really quite judgmental of of, of our customers and, yeah. uh, and and our and our teams too. You know, I, I um, you know, I've had had I clients say to me, um and again that Eastern Suburbs Low and North Shore thing, I've had clients say to me, Oh Dan, you're from the West, what do your people think about this? Oh, and, right. and I think your people. I yeah. think Jesus Christ. Buy a train ticket. Go to Parramatta. Go sure. to Penrith. Yeah. And and listen. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I find that the whole, um. And and again, that's a very Sydney-centric thing to say, but I think it's it's universal of of our experiences. People that work in our industry are quite um, inner city in their their outlook. Mm. Um. And that's not necessarily where everyone is. I mm. mean, I mean, I think that you know that sort of uh, Hills, Parramatta, Cabramatta strip is kind of where the greatest population growth is in Sydney, and I'm sure it, you know that would be mirrored in Brisbane and Melbourne and, and other cities around the country. But I I think that um, I think that the a willingness to sort of um, to study people and be genuinely interested in what drives them is actually key to this, and not to Filter every brief through your point of view. Were you
2: always interested in that, in the way that people work, yeah. and, and how they? Oh, I think it me. was
3: always probably potentially the, a lot of the connective thread of us is both of us obsessed with human beings. Like well, I go to the movies and watch the audience. You know, I'm eternally interested in, you know, beyond the craft, why, why some stuff is so universal. Mm. You know, why, why does an audience, you know, how does an audience react to that story, that emotion, that moment? Uh, I, f- I find it fascinating. and I think you're the same. And so much of our work and time is spent in that space. Is how do we hack human nature? How do we understand people? Because really, you know, advertising is one big giant behavioural change experiment. Mm-hmm. How do we get like people that. to buy stuff? How? But when we think advertising, it's such a narrow little term and bucket. You go, oh, we're making ads. That's a small part of
4: marketing too. Yeah. It's, you know, it's 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 quite, and in some ways, it's that's part of its history. Is it's quite narrow i think you're right kay that there is a, a a narrowness of focus it's it's about me talking to you as opposed to no it's about me understanding you and me understanding what motivates you and what your price sensitivity might be what the product offering might be and it's, it's a marketing is a bigger conversation than just advertising. And look, we
3: had an because because the agency that we started in worked outside at the time media commission used to be a thing agencies used to get paid this is vcd yeah. yeah. So when we work in VCD, uh, we, we started in an agency that worked outside the system. So we were given the opportunity, even when we started, to develop new products. And we were working on some TV shows or naming stuff. So we never had – advertising talks a lot. We we're in the ideas business. Mm. Uh, but that but wasn't
4: true in the early 1990s. They were in the TV commercial business. That's yeah. how they made money. They, they sold TV space.
3: So I think for us, that really being brought up in a in a business that saw itself as problem solvers, and and I guess human behaviorists, like right? how do we how do we understand human beings and, and match them, that's been incredibly useful for us and joyful. Yeah. Uh, we I, love doing it. Every I also day. think
4: getting back to one of your earlier observations around you know um, a lot of agencies have you know account service people that are really good salespeople and is is we never had that kind of siloed mentality, um, and one of the one of the the greatest opportunities about starting in a in a small agency um, is that you get a, a greater breadth of experience in a shorter period of time because you do everything. Yes, you know you meet with the client, you develop the strategy, you you direct the creative uh, response, you go and you sell that creative response, you liaise with the media team, and and you just get such a. I remember having a conversation with someone who's who's. Got a very successful agency now. I mean, I won't mention names. Scott from the Monkeys, but <laughs> but
2: Scott. No, we know that one. Do we know that one? Yeah.
4: <laughs> but I Scott we... and I, Scott and I, were speaking at something recent. Oh, not recently. It was ages ago. What am I talking about? It's probably five years ago now. But I was having a chat with Scott about, um, and he was saying because he'd come from Saatchi's, which was a, a quite rarefied environment, and and he was he was sharing how. Um, uh, how challenging it was to go from someone who's uh, been surrounded by people who supported you in your singular function to having to wear lots of different hats and being a business person, not just a creative director. And, and you know, my observation was, was that, you know, coming from a small agency background is you, you transition to business owner a lot, a lot uh, more easily. Because you, you've kind of been exposed to a lot of that before. You've seen the PNL. You know how to read that, um, and and I think that that was. And, and again, I mean, Scott's a great example that you don't. You can you can do that from whatever road you start in. You know, and the, and and those guys are, have been incredibly successful in what they've done, and 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 have, you know have a lot of admiration from my point of view but i think one of the advantages of the way that kieran and i came up was very much business focused and and i think that that's sometimes missing from a lot of people in the industry who are all about you know as kieran mentioned earlier that we we do tend to be a little bit too focused on craft and don't have quite enough understanding that actually we're a small function within a greater business context
3: yeah, look, I, you know, having – I used to run a ward for a while and having spoken to a lot of people coming in and, you know, this, this sort of deluded notion of, you know, being an artist or being there because, you know, you're in love with the craft and you want to make beautiful things and you want to move people and be cool and – actually, no, no, your job is to make mass – communication that's hugely popular mm. you know a bit we're a bit in the reality tv business in a weird way you know what i mean like how do you it's not all reality tv but you can judge it and go oh we're so above that because well if if mass people are watching it why you know what always go if it's popular what's what's the what's the reason behind it and how do we tap into it so if you want to be an artist and you want to write briefs for yourself then go be an artist your job is actually the business of selling the business Mm. of persuasion the business of moving behavior and you need to love those things and i think sometimes we get the wrong people in who want it to be something it's not Mm. even though we need to work with those people and we need them in our industry as well because you know when you get something right and it's got all it's got craft and thinking it's magic Mm. because equally without the craft it's pedestrian mm.
2: how do you how do you stumble upon whether or not people are going to like the thing that you think they're going to like so how do you come to that realization when when we're talking about fame and we're talking about doing something interesting I mean and you're talking about looking at people in the cinema for instance and and seeing their reaction how do you craft that kind of empathy within yourself to be able to know that this thing is going to be famous or this thing is going to be interesting
3: I don't think you ever know for sure for a start I don't Mm. you know we're not in the business of certainty Mm. we're in the business of honed judgment and instinct so I don't think you ever know um it's not that linear But I do think what you need to be great at is when you deeply understand human motivation, Mm. you know, and you go, oh, I know what loss aversion is. Mm. So, you know, we're we're twice as afraid of what we might lose than we are excited by what we might gain. Mm. So when you deeply understand human behavior, and you should study it, and Mm. you should understand what psychologically goes on for people, uh, then you start to get better at making a guess. So the yes.
2: academics get you half of the way, and the rest is you
3: just just your well, own life intuition. experience and yeah. being really interested. You know, a good friend of ours uh, is a woman named uh, Marion Farrelly, and she's an exec TV producer, and she's made like she she did Big Brother in the UK and Big Brother here, and she's worked on X Factor and q and A, like a million shows, and she's a genius. But she, what I would say about her still to this day is she's obsessed with human beings. She makes these, the fact she makes some of the most watched shows on the planet is no accident because she has a deep love. No matter where you go with her, she's asking people about their lives and without judgment. Oh, that's really interesting. What do you do? Why do you do that? And I, I think great advertising people, either, either through observation or in interaction, get really good at it. Be interested in people. And sometimes we can be too elitist and lock ourselves up, which is what Dan's saying. And you go, no, no, the, it's the opposite is true. You have to be deeply into them and deeply interested by their behaviour. Because the more you know, then you get a pretty good instinct. Yeah, you know, I know what's going to make a mum feel this way. I don't have to be a mum to know. Mm. But I've, I've hung out with enough that I know. And, you know, it's why when ads get criticised, it's, it's a miss. You know, they get slandered now by social media because someone's missed... They go, that's just not true. And people get upset because they go, you're not... They like really. empathy. They but like I, empathy.
4: But I think, you know, the key is to, to be in front of people. I think one of the great mistakes advertising agencies make as a helicopter flies overhead, um, I think one of the great mistakes that advertising agencies make is they keep creative people out of research groups. And, and they, you know, so you have... Someone will go to a research group and then it goes through a series of, of whispers and and the, the 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 meaning may be there, but you don't actually get to hear the real people say what they're saying. And and again, research groups are a flawed methodology for a whole bunch of reasons. Mm. However, being able to hear people say stuff um and, and and hear what's sitting behind that emotional response, what's driving that, I think that's really important. Um, and I think a lot of us in uh, who've come through through the advertising industry have been too disconnected from you know the end consumer um, and and don't actually really re- really connect with them um, and and you know, I, I think that's what gives empathy is actually the the you know the diversity of your experience sitting with people who you might disagree with but for long enough to hear why they believe what they believe because very few people. Um, are actively looking to be consciously evil
3: Mm. or consciously irrational so we're working i was working with well doing a speaking tour with uh a professor of safety workplace safety professor sydney decker he's very clever and he was talking about incidents in the workplace and it's weird the same thing eternally fascinated the same thinking applies he said people never set out the problem with either because you know, when people have an accident at work, people go and investigate and then they go, well, what went wrong? But what he found was that human beings rarely behave in a way they expect to have a negative outcome and there was a rational reason for them to behave in that way in the first place. He said, so they want to climb up a shelf, which in retrospect seems stupid because the shelf may not be attached to the wall and it falls on them. But at the time, it seemed a highly logical behaviour to have. But we don't think of human beings that way. Yeah, we, yeah. And so it's it, funny how much synergy, so that he's all the same is how do we understand human beings the way they are? And then how do we design our workplaces accordingly? It's funny when you see threads, you go, actually, it's very applicable in who knew, workplace safety, what we spent our careers spending time I doing. I think
4: empathy is ultimately being forgiving for human nature. Yeah. You know, Kieran and I wrote a book ages ago called Selfish, Scared and Stupid, Mm. which sounds really judgmental, particularly when I say it. But in fact, it's about realizing that all human beings, all of us, are driven by self-interest and need to mitigate risk and with a bias towards ease and simplicity. And they you know, that's part of the reason we've been successful as a species. But it's easy to judge those characteristics and say, well, you should be more selfless. Mm. And there's a reason we talk about selfless people as being heroes because it's very unusual. There's, the same with risk taking. The same with people who do very complicated things. That they're, they're actually outside human nature. They're, they're anomalies more than 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 people being selfish, scared, and stupid, and, and being more accepting of that and going actually no that's it's human nature to want to be playing in some of those spaces even though it's not something we necessarily brag about Mm. i think it's it's about being accepting human beings for for who they are and trying to work with who they are as opposed to
2: shifting them to be who we'd like them to be That's very interesting. That's incredibly interesting. Uh, Do you think... So, curiosity seems to be more of a human trait than a trait of advertising professionals or anyone (laughs) in this kind of industry, right? are, Are there people that are more curious than others about these types of things and they're the types of people that that make good advertising professionals and and think about these problems or do you think everyone has the opportunity and the ability to be able to do that it's just some might lean into that a little bit um harder than others
3: nature or nurture right Mm. uh i would say anyone could learn it and you probably have people who are more predisposed but again you don't and we don't want all the same kind of people. Mm. You know, we had this writer who worked for us who was extraordinarily talented because he was driven by the need to be different and new, but he was strategically hopeless Mm. and he was equally passionate whether he was right or not. He was equally enthused. It was the best idea you'd ever seen regardless of how badly correct it is and strategically correct it was or not. But he was really useful to have in the agency because he would come up with extraordinary thinking. But you just needed someone to wrangle his strategy (laughs) because he he couldn't tell. Sure. Uh, So I would hate to shut people out in a way, but I do think you can learn it. But I think some people are naturally more curious about this. People are actually quite terrified of people who are different. Again, it's a survival thing. We're wired to look for similarity. Studies have shown people rescue people most like them in terms of an emergency situation. They unconsciously go to rescue the the person most like them. Mm. That's what we do. It's survival. So. And
4: we rescue children. And there's a lot of biology in this. <laughs> we rescue children rather than adults, even though children have not proved their worth. An adult may have, <laughs> yeah. however, and,
3: and are likely to die <laughs> faster. <so. laughs>
4: but it, but it, yeah um, yeah because I'm a, kids are very high in fat, so hugely flammable. But. Um, <laughs> But But I also, but I I think that that's, I think that is, is very, is quite biological. However, I think, you know, adding to what Kieran said is, I think Kieran and I tend to believe more in interest than talent. Mm. In other words, you you might have a natural inclination to be interested in something, but the talent can be developed. Mm. You, You know, one of the, one of the things that Kieran in particular talks about is the fact that creativity is a skill and a discipline, not a talent. You know, and and we, but we tend to filter it that way. Oh, you're, you're, uh, you're good at playing the piano. I'm like, well, yeah, because I've been doing piano lessons since I was five. Or, oh, you're a really good drawer. Well, that's because my father encouraged me to do a drawing a day since I was a kid. And and but we tend not to see the development of of that. Like if you have a look at any three year olds drawing, they're all shit. Mm. You know, only a parent would love them but again some kids are in, have a, have a, have an inclination or an interest in a particular area and 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 when you focus on that you get better at it and then you get encouraged people go oh my god you're really good and when you get encouraged you spend even more time doing it and and you end up in these um these these virtuous circles of skill increasing and you know coming back to the conversation we had you know before we started mm. recording you know, about this idea that we tend to silo people's talents a little bit too early, in my opinion. We don't um, we don't give people um, uh, a capacity to explore multiple areas. We go, oh, you're good at drawing, therefore that's your thing. We you're decide at director. age seven, you're done. And right? you're an
3: art director because you're good at drawing. Well, actually, maybe you're a really good thinker. Maybe you should be a planner. I don't yeah. know. We silo and we choose really early. So, we, yeah, I mean, we, I, we, I spend a lot of my time teaching non-creative types people in corporate who like we ask the rooms all the time put your hand up if you think they're creative you're lucky to get three you might have 500 people in the room you might get 10 mm-hmm. so until the three them, have got the hands half up yeah they're half yeah. they're yeah. non-committed they please don't give me a test on this though but i think compared to the other people in this room i'm more creative uh and it's hugely problematic for going into a world where ai is going to do anything re- replicable so we always say if you can replicate it we'll automate it That's what's going to happen. So, you know, a lot of our time and energy is spent helping non creative people understand that they are creative Mm. and to see creativity as problem solving, not artistry, drawing, art directors, too much colour, disdainful of mainstream thinking, Mm. because that's the stereotype. Mm. And I think creative people have done themselves a disservice in the industry. They've handed over, a lot of them have handed over business management skills uh, to other people. Mm. And you know they've found themselves disempowered,
4: and they've marginalised their ability. You know by saying no, we're a rarefied environment of <laughs> if unique people, and and I think that that's that's oh, no. actually been problematic. So
3: many amazingly clever people with so much to offer. I, I guess in some ways, you know, narrowing down their possibility because they go, I can't be bothered learning about that because it doesn't. It's not my identity. I don't. I want it to be the fringe-dwelling creative person.
2: Cool. You only have to go back to the Renaissance days and look at Michelangelo, mm-hmm. Leonardo da Vinci, these guys who are incredible artists, they're incredible mathematicians, yeah. they're just polymaths, right? Yeah. So if you are if you are a person that wants to be in advertising today and wants to go into an agency, are you looking for agencies that allow you to have that kind of broad exploration of the different, different avenues and kind of let you off the leash a little bit in there? Or are you looking really to drill down into one skill at the start and then broaden throughout your career as
3: you jump around. <laughs> well, what's advertising like going to be is, mm. yeah, is the yeah, big. Like then, yeah. then you have yeah, to play a question. a question called what? what's advertising going to look like? So if you're going into advertising right now, the, and look, the fundamental skill, so if you drill it right down of being able to create communication that changes a behaviour,
1: mm-hmm.
3: right? You mm. know, Actually, we want to advertise a product or get you to slip, slop, slap, or you know, stop you speeding or stop you smoking or get you to take this diet, whatever it is, mm. we're ultimately trying to create a piece of communication that moves people's behaviour. Mm. So we're from two. That mm. is eternally needed. It won't go away, but will the T V format, the advertising format, will we, you know, download people stuff straight into people's heads, chips, don't know. Yeah.
4: I think look, I think you, you want to encourage people to read outside their interests yeah. and to and to study outside what's immediately um, compelling for them. And the reason you want to do that is I I think to be a really good advertising professional, you should be um, a world champion in trivial pursuit. You should know a a lot about a lot of subjects. Um, And I think that's actually really useful. And what we find is uh, if you have a look at innovation, most innovations come from people outside that industry sector in other words, you know, and Kieran does a lot of work with businesses in in their innovation, and and one of the problems is people know so much about the way things have worked or how they should work that they can't always see how they might work, and so knowing too much can actually get in the way of innovation. Well,
3: it does. Most it's most innovation happens from an alternate company that you don't they don't see coming. Mm-hmm. So you know, most corporations iterate; they don't innovate. And it's actually usually someone outside that innovates. So, again, it's that how do, you, how do you give yourself enough input that you cannot get stuck in the way things are? And I think advertising as an industry itself needs to go, well, what are we beyond what we currently offer? And it's incredibly hard because massive agencies with massive overheads and massive bills that love the theory of changing the structure. But, again, they're stuck in the way things are fundamentally done right now because – How do they they make money out of a new structure? How do they organise it? Which is exactly what big corporates face.
4: And I think you've got to be open to that. I mean, I had this conversation with a friend of mine who's a strategist in London, and, and she and I were having a chat. I was talking about what media she consumes, and... Because look, if you have a look at my social feed, it's incredibly schizophrenic. There's radical right, radical left, radical atheist, radical religious. But I mean, it's nuts. But I want to know religious. Yeah, I want to know what the crazies are thinking.
3: You meant the feed? meant what you were sharing. No,
4: no, no. What I'm what I'm reading, what I'm following. And I think that, uh, and and she was saying, oh, I only read really uh, liberal media. I don't want to know what the hard right are saying. And I'm like, yeah, but you've got to assume that that's a good proportion of the population that you're trying to engage with. And unless you know the thought process that they're going through to, to reach that conclusion, then it's going to be difficult to engage with them. And so I, I think, you know, the more you're able to broaden your interests, and certainly, I mean, you know, over the past 30-odd years, Kieran and I, there's, there's, I don't think there's an industry sector we haven't worked with that we haven't got some kind of inside information on. And that's, that's hugely valuable, I think, because, because again, it, you know, uh, if you look at things like, you know, Tontine Pillows putting use-by dates on their pillows, which mm. I which I voted for in an Advertising Effectiveness Award ages ago, I was on a judging panel, and and there was a huge debate, oh, is that an advertising solution? And and they said, because it's not an ad, and I go, mm. but it's not a… No, well, for but me, this it did advertising, but again is. they they were very you know, there were a lot of people from a very traditional model well it's 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 not a poster, it's not a TV ad, it's not a social thing. it's not a and and I said, no, but it's a commercial solution to a problem that existed mm-hmm. that actually that that changed people's perceptions and drove drove sales. And so for me i I think the the willingness to be outside your sector, and again, no one in the pillow world was looking yeah. at the FMCG world and saying, well, that's who who we can learn from.
0: Just for the listeners, this was the um, campaign where they put expiry dates on yeah, pillows. On yeah, the exactly. Top 10 yeah. Pillows.
4: Exactly, and I think that that's that's the opportunity, and you only get there by being broadly interested, and and spending, and it's I think it's one of the reasons I like arguing, is, and I like arguing with people who really don't agree with me. Mm. Um, because they challenge your thinking, yes. and that's what I'm. I like being surrounded by really, really smart people. A lot of whom don't agree with me because it challenges Did my thinking. Did you just
3: thinking. look at me? I'm happy that you called me really <laughs> smart.
4: <laughs> well, even I remember having a real. I was, I was doing again. I was doing sunrise one day. I had a really interesting conversation with Mark Latham, um, who I, who is not someone I particularly agree with on, on lots of things, and uh, and but again. He was—he's smart enough to have a really challenging conversation with, and so that was kind um, of—I think you do need to spend time with people other than your ilk. Yes, and and, you know, and again, I don't just mean in terms of spend time with with uh, uh, different genders, different ethnicities. I think it's also about having people who have different cognitive filters. No, but I think, but I think but like, you should. you
3: know should. what I mean? Like, Trump won the election, so you can either go, "Oh, he's an idiot," but I think that's or or one of the go, reasons. Why did he win? Yeah. And what's What's going on in mm. the psychology? But I think
4: you have you look at. But I think he's a perfect example. You look at the Democrats. The Democrats are a left wing party, and they talked um, about working class people as being deplorables. Yes. You cannot be the left and call working class people deplorables. They're the only people. The rich people aren't going to vote for you you've got to win over the working class and I think that's what the Trump campaign did really well is it spoke in a way where working class people went oh that billionaire is just like yeah, us I yeah. know. I mean exactly. that was a good like sell but, but he again he has gold
3: taps but he's just like I'm f-
4: not sure he won I think the Democrats lost yeah I think
0: yeah. Hillary I think Clinton Clinton totally. was the worst possible candidate to go up against Trump she was the personification of the system
4: well I, to be honest I don't think it was just her though I think it was actually the the, the, the infrastructure in the Democrats was ve- communicated in a very elitist way yeah. mm-hmm. and and the fact that working class people look at the republicans and go yeah they care more about regular people like us is clearly not true however that was the perception that was created Well,
3: also the zeitgeist of fear because there's so much change mm. yeah human being can't things go back i mean you know make america great again The the advertising thinking is genius because yes. it said let's go back it's like the
0: Brexit line as yeah. well, take back control. We all know we can't go
3: back <laughs> mm. and it will never be what it was and our parents can't give us the childhood they had yeah. and I can't give my kid the childhood I had. was playing on that nostalgia. Well, it's imm- look, beings. and the like thing is,
4: it's, is, is, democracy, as much as people like to say it's not a popularity contest, is a popularity contest. Yes. <laughs> and in between it's Los an Angeles and New context. York, there's a lot of, you know poor angry white people only making 40 grand a year who think that you know being a white angry person should be worth 80 grand a year mm. and and again yeah they're wrong however that doesn't that Send doesn't win you elections too. that <laughs> doesn't yeah, win yeah, you yeah. elections and you've got to you've got to be able to engage people who you disagree with mm. and I and and I think that you know again with this you know and it's certainly that's as politics becomes more polarized, all around the world i think an unwillingness to to um engage with people where they are and actually have a reasonable conversation with people you disagree with as opposed to going to straight to hashtag fuck you i think is is problematic totally and and again i think uh, uh, and and you should be able to move your your own opinion
0: if you have any complaints with this podcast just hashtag fuck you yeah, the hashtag
2: fuck you to son
0: of a bitch podcast. <laughs> we we could Twitter.
3: have made it controversial. It would have be been really nice. <laughs> no, we, uh, we actually really
2: enjoy this. I mean, it's kind of like you don't debate to win, you debate to learn, right?
4: Or you debate for progress. Yeah. And I think, you know, progress beats perfection. Mm. And and a lot of us are too, it's either all my way or not at all. And, I, and well, yeah, that's not how the world being works.
3: middle ground compromise average. Mm. Yes. Yeah, the trick is how do you, Dan's right, how do you create progress, not just everyone's disappointed and we've reached it icky vanilla lukewarm tepid tepid such a good word isn't it tepid solution because that's often what we get we get decision by committee lukewarm nothing Mm. sitting on the fence stuff
2: everything works to the mean
3: yeah. Well, and, and again, we, we're, no we're
4: all caught up in our own worldview, which, which, which is, is a natural thing to do. And I think social media has only exacerbated that. Like, I, I did a lot of work with White Ribbon, which is about men ending men's violence against women. And, you know, I would post about it and people would say, what about women's violence against men? And I'm like, yeah, we're not saying that's a good thing. Like, like daffodil day isn't fuck diabetes day. It's a day for raising awareness about cancer. So, raising awareness about men's violence against women doesn't mean that m- women's violence against men is a good thing. It's just, no, we're focusing on a
3: particular issue. Well, And statistically, you. <laughs> and statistically speaking, what's the violence the other way is minute. Well, you
4: know? in terms of effects, certainly. But again, it's and, – and, and, and propensity. But again, it's, you know, people are so reactive.
3: Yeah, we're teaching people um, to be intolerant. Social media, the da- upside is – great but the downside is intolerance on mass. at uh, you know not being very good at accepting another opinion I mean sometimes I really have to restrain myself we have a friend who's yeah highly like we the good little wife sort of and as a kind of working woman who is very progressive I have to not arc up and accept that he's very traditional
2: yeah mm. well there you go I guess Who,
3: that's what you do when you're a planner. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, to segue, I, th- I think we were talking about vanilla, tepid, and lukewarm, which is kind of the perfect, perfect <laughs> move into our, our next segment, The Pitch, dun, dun, uh, dun. where we have given Dan and Kieran a challenge, which is very much a behavior change challenge. Matt.
1: Now it's time to put your talents to the test Now it's time to give a scenario to our guest. So what would be your strategy? Break it down, let's see how you do it Problem insight, strategy and solution Woo.
0: There is nothing more nostalgic than the sound of green sleeves blasting through suburban streets from the speakers of everybody's favourite ice cream merchant Mr Whippy Founded in the UK in 1958, and first launched in Australia during 1962, Mr Whippy is the epitome of Australian summer culture. However, in the year of our millennium, Mr Whippy closed its van doors to the Australian public forever. Or did they? In 2015, the franchise food company relaunched the Mr Whippy brand along with a fleet of 200 tricycle trucks known as tuk-tuks. For the paltry sum of 80 grand, you can set up your own Mr. Whippy franchise. This is a high price to pay to convince people to set up their own Mr. Whippy business. Some would consider this a terrible investment. Unless, there was a sudden surge in demand for Mr. Whippy ice cream. In that case, it might be a masterstroke. Our task? Reinvigorate the demand for Mr. Whippy ice cream in Australia, by any means necessary. As always, for this segment, Uh, we've asked our guests to respond in the son of a pitch taking the piss format which is problem insight strategy and solution let's see how they go no
4: well we thought you know now that the catholic church is no longer that maybe Mr. Whippy vans could no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't put that in.
3: Um, I think you should. <laughs> That's going to be the start of the podcast and that little the opening line. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. uh, look.
4: I, I, I think uh, th- there's a couple of challenges I think that Mr. Whippy have, um, and 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 they're challenges that have always existed, but solutions now present themselves. And one of the, one of the problems we talked about was seasonality. Was this idea of You know, an ice cream is terrific in in high summer, but what do we do in winter? kind
3: of medium Mm. summer because it melts really quickly.
4: Yeah, yeah, but you feel like an ice cream. I know. Uh, And the the other problem was is it's very much an impulse purchase, but the impulse can't always be met. Because Mr
3: Whippy's a bit random. Yeah, you don't really know. Like you'd be, you'd be be sitting
4: at home and you'd hear, and then you'd go running through the house and you go, "Shit, it's in the next street."
3: (laughs) And I and I've missed him. And where's my coins? And Mm. I can't find. And don't run on the road, kids. So Mr. Whippy's accessibility, I think, was a huge hindrance to the the success of that business. The
4: first thing we thought was you, you actually need a technological solution. So something like an Uber app, so you can track where Mr. Whippies are driving. And also a and way to, call to hail or flag them. So um, let's say you're having – and you could do like a pre-flag. So you could say, okay, we're going to have a kid's party for lunch. But at 1 o'clock, a Mr Whippy van shows up and, you know, does multiple sales. But also if you're – if you can see, you know, in the same way with Uber, you can see where there are Uber cars nearby. If you could tag a, a Mr Whippy and, and demand drive purchase in a way that they never could before – it's a way of, um, of 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 making sure that that impulse purchase isn't based on just you hearing green sleeves traveling through the the road next to you.
3: Yeah, and then you you know you could allow a crowdsourcing call, so you know you can say, oh someone near me called. So if there's no one near you, you can actually call them far enough away if you get enough of a crowdsourcing like so a crowdsourcing hail. Mm. So you go, well, at what point is it useful to go and sell an ice cream? Yeah do I can I do I need 20 so I, I mean more, I don't know the mathematics of a
0: more effective way of mirroring up the supply and the demand for Mr Whippy Yeah or exactly and
4: and you could be you could be at work right you could be at work and it's a hot call. day yeah. who wants a Mr Whippy there's a Mr Whippy van 5 blocks away and you do and you do a call or mm. so
3: you could shout people you can go basically I've now via app shouted 100 Mr Whippies to our office Yeah so how do you do bulk how do you increase volume of sale um and make it easy and barrier free mm do that so for us it was as much accessibility because it's far too random yes and then you can go okay what else makes it more fun you know you you could do a spotify partnership or something and you know choose your music whatever. choose the music that it shows up you ways. can make it more fun yeah, oh, I but, love that too. yeah. yeah. but technically the biggest barrier is how do you get to know where mr whippy is because otherwise you may as well get in your car and have a macca's drive through mm. for 50 cents mm. well i don't know how much is it 50 cents i've no idea do we anyone know how much a McDonald's cone 25 is? Twenty five cents now. Is it twenty five really? cents? Yeah, really, <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Because you know, again, but, but, it's but a race to the bottom, you know like slushy. I'll pay five
4: bucks for delivery for me to, not to get out of my chair. Yeah. 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 I'll you know because I'm not I'm not if I'm at work I'm not going to drive to McDonald's no. for a thirty. cents agree. Cent
3: ice cream. Well, let alone are you going to so it yeah. becomes fun and and uh, and are able to call them. So we thought that was the biggest solution that they could do was accessibility. And then, really in terms
4: short. of seasonality, I think you know the capacity to, to deliver coffee or or whipped top chocolates, or if you can make, you know, an indulgent winter experience, you know, chili hot chocolate or, or whatever, you know, flavored hot chocolate, hot chocolate
3: with Mr. Whippy in it might be. I don't know how much it would cool, but it would be interesting.
4: No, yeah, but I think I think having a a, a seasonal offering, so it wasn't just associated with high summer. Mm. Um, and and I think the the other the other part you know then the communications does it like they haven't got a problem with brand awareness people know Mr Whippy yes. they haven't got a problem with desirability people like ice cream like it's it's kind of a no-brainer it's like the the issue is how do you drive volume of sales how do you make the product offering relevant to a you know slightly more sophisticated uh, consumer in 2019. And also, how do you make sure that it's not just associated with summer, but there's there's a reason to want to interact with the brand, you know, through through different parts of the yeah, year? Yeah, and
3: we talked about increasing, you know, again, how do you get repeat purchase? You go, well, I've done my Mr Whippy for the summer. So potentially a flavour focus, so broadening offering. So there's a reason to try something new. They're not, they're not high in innovation, uh, whereas, you know, Messina's of the world, Cow and Moon's are really good at uh, this is a flavour of the week or whatever mm. to get people back. So how do you potentially make a flavour play? You yeah, have your standard, but what's your flavour play? Maybe your chocolates that go on top, you know, chocolate, yeah. dip or your toppings become quite interesting and unique. So again, you could make it a bit more premium if you wanted. I don't think they should go and too premium. And fast food premium. does that
4: well. You know, that you know McDonald's will bring out a burger for a limited time and, and what they're doing is they're test marketing. But what it does is it drives interest yeah in something that you're really familiar with yeah. and I think that's kind of the opportunity you as know, well you know
3: we talk about unicorn unicorn mist be, I don't know if you've seen Japanese rainbow ones
2: yeah absolutely so you know
3: stuff yeah. like that that A is Instagrammable visual yes I know. haven't seen it could you,
2: could you
0: because so
3: it's, it? like a, it's like a, a unicorn shat in your right. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>,
0: sounds <laughs> desirable <laughs> yeah. for the well, Americans listening what, <laughs> poop. What would, poop
4: what you what you would unicorn. imagine <laughs> a unicorn shit would look like
0: yeah. so what
3: you imagine in your head like rainbow coming out in a swirly pattern
0: yeah
3: Mm. uh, but they let you know it layers up so stuff like that that you suddenly go oh and you could make poop emojis really couldn't you put eyes on them and stuff but stuff that becomes very social very instagrammable very visual how do you make it interesting so if it has come to the office that everyone's instagramming a rainbow one or of course you want to keep your classics Mm. because that obviously is one of the big things they they provide but for repeat purchase and need to have it again Because you're not going to go, it's my Friday, Mr. Whippy. I don't think you might some people might be Depends really how cool whippy. you
2: make it right with this unicorn stuff
3: no the, uni- the unicorns are <laughs> be cool everyone loves unicorns i mean it's a bit lamery at the moment we've moved a bit mm, Lamery, but yep. everyone likes unicorns.
2: waiting for the alpacas to, to, the take alpacas. to have a turn yeah
3: dragons dragons it's so all going to be it. dragons so,
2: so it, it, well this is really interesting because it's it's kind of like mr whippy you immediately know what mr whippy is and we're talking about creating new products and and really kind of uh, redefining the service that you get from a Mister Whippy, is it just through that social media and engagement type of thing that you're uh, kind of uh, getting across exactly what they do now, or did you think about kind of other ways that you would really imprint in people's minds what the new Mister Whippy delivered and, and what it offered and what it what it stood for and all of those types of things?
3: Oh, look for us, you know. Again, if you think of sites of business and investment, I would say the first place should be accessibility. Mm. Because, again, you don't want a client to overspend and invest more than they need to. Mm -hmm. Potentially, they don't actually need to overinvest in other stuff. And we talked about merchandise because, you know... So, again, how do you get people to advertise your stuff for free? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been whipped merchandise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, stuff, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need There's a new like a million, single. <laughs> a million whip puns that one can yeah. use uh, that would make fun merchandise. And we talked about that party angle. So, again, how do you get bulk sales? So, how do we get volume of sale up? Because mm. single sales is a tough way to make uh, money. So, how do, we, how do we create more bulk? So, offices, mm. So mm. kids' parties pool parties because there's two
4: customers there's the franchise purchaser that mr whippy needs to engage and then there's the the consumer who buys the ice cream or hot chocolate whatever it is that you need to engage as well and and for the franchise uh franchisee you you kind of want to see that your eighty thousand dollar investment is going to pay back in year one
0: Mm.
4: right and you go okay well how many sales do i need to make they're going to be doing all those kind of calculations I think the opportunity, though, is to demonstrate that you can do volume of sales. So I think investing in in a way to to drive sales, and and the, you know then they have a whole lot of problems around. Well, you know this Mister Whippy's been encroaching on my patch. and, <laughs> yeah. and but again, but, but again, that's one of the, the conversations you'd want to have with a franchise, and that's any franchise, whether it be a fast food chain or. Or, or a, uh, a stationary chain is having those conversations about well, who owns what patch and how do you drive sales within that area um, geographically? But I think I think the 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 opportunity to for people to become engaged in inhaling a mr whippy mm. that's the kind of thing that that that's quite quite story worthy mm. and i think you wouldn't need to invest a huge amount of money i think i'd have a pr strategy mm. where I'd, I'd let people know that this was that this was possible and i think the story would start to would start to spread i mean if you if you look at someone like an uber mm. they don't spend a lot of time uh, or money in above the line advertising what they do is they made the the uh the functionality that works so well that people said oh you've got to try this yeah and I think that's part of the, the, the battle.
2: Their kind of thing is, is, like, if we look at Uber, right, they set up that kind of loop where the more drivers means the quicker the service and the quicker yeah. the service, the more customers means the more drivers because there's more customers and that kind of keeps going. Yeah, Are the you better looking the at it the same way? Yeah. yeah. You,
3: what you only do is make sure people know they can get it. Mm. People know they can get it, you know. We want stuff fast and on demand now. I mean, I was really irritated this morning because my Uber was 12 minutes. Mm. I was not happy. It's normally three like I literally cancelled it to try to get a faster one. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on with Uber? It shouldn't be 12 minutes. But once upon a time, that was a very reasonable wait time.
0: Do you think there's room for an alliance between Uber and Mister Whippy? We
3: talked. We we actually talked about an alliance mm. and whether your your van could drive you around as well. Well, <laughs> I <guess laughs> it would be quite funny destination to destination.
4: But I think it's you know you look at Uber Eats. <laughs> I think I think Uber has recognised actually there is an alliance between that. And certainly yeah. if you think about you know when when we were kids, Pizza Hut was a destination.
2: Mm. Yes.
4: Now it's. There, there aren't no, no pizza, Huts, pizza delivery. <laughs> it's all yeah. delivery n- no but again it was it became all about convenience and delivery and i think i think that's kind of the the understanding is that um you know the thing that most limited mr whippy was you needed to be in that particular street at that particular time yeah. free enough to get out decide,
3: of the house yeah
4: and fast enough yeah. to get <laughs> out of, you know and i think that that's you know, those were a whole bunch of limiting factors that a really simple app could get you around. I mean, even like, like when, when Kieran picks up her little girl from school, yeah. who's my goddaughter, so I'm quite often with Kieran and, and we'll pick her up from school. Kieran will order Darcy a Boost Juice via the app. I mean, we have to walk past it to get to the car. <laughs> yeah, I pre-ordered it. I mean, we could have we could have just gone up and said, "I'll have a blah 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 juice," but she still uses the app because of the convenience. Yeah.
3: Well, because it takes five minutes to walk up, and all the kids go after school, so it's far easier to pre-order it. So again, you just go. It's a convenience. The, the, mindset. the app doesn't make
4: the walk shorter. Mm. The app, all it saves us, is literally sixty seconds of lining up behind someone else while they order mm. their juice. No, oh, I'm waiting. No, I know, but you know, in terms of Scale up, 60 seconds isn't efficiency is everything to
3: wait. if we if we that money it would See, be Kieran, a highly valuable
4: Kieran doesn't drink coffee so she's not used to waiting for beverage no, I don't so I
3: don't do waiting I don't like waiting
2: <laughs> well that's a, but this is this is such a big thing as as we've gotten all of this convenience we we actually start to take time Less for granted, maybe, with regard to these services. We actually really do value the amount of convenience that these people can create. Um, It's everything. Mm.
3: So, we, and you know, I've got a 10 year old, she can't fathom stuff isn't on demand. What do you mean I can't watch the show? (laughs) No, no, I haven't brought the season out yet. What what do you mean? She can't quite wrap her head around waiting. So, because they don't have to wait, you know, they don't appointment view. It's on, Everything's on demand. I pretty much can order anything on the internet and it comes the next day. You know, the longest wait is the next day, really, mm-hmm. for a lot of stuff. So, when stuff takes a while to come, it's quite this weird mindset. So, the waiting thing for Mr. Whippy. Otherwise, you could make a Mr. Whippy route, like bus route, and mm-hmm. know where the Mr. Whippy goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I actually think the on-demand response... But if you know, if the demand's quiet potentially you could have the, you know, again the tracking app. But we think that's their biggest what we'd solve first. Again, we want to make the money work really hard. They don't have a communication problem really. Yeah, sure. Mm. They have an accessibility problem. Mm. And yeah, you know, we qu- too quickly go, Oh yeah, you can make some funny ads, you know, I so said there's lots of whipped puns you can yeah, do. But yeah. you can do lots of funny stuff and you can make it retro or you could make it, you know, as I said, you could do a Spotify partnership, all this stuff that makes it fun. But fundamentally, we need to solve how do we get more people to be able to get it when they want it? Mm. And how do they not have to get off their lazy butts and stay on their side? And again,
4: going from from single sale, single sale, single sale randomly in a street to volume sale by appointment.
3: Or an event. You know, I've booked Mr. Whippy because I'm. Kids' party. Yep. Or I'm going to, you know, we know we're at the swimming pool or we know, you know, where do we know people gather? Mm. We're hanging, we're having a picnic, a family reunion. A, mm. Mm. So you can appointment it or some say their sales go up. It's not random. Because we know when there's a Mr. Whippy at an event, the queue's really long, right? We know that happens. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a desirability issue. Uh, I think that's where we'd solve it.
2: What it, is, would you keep a lot about the brand itself? I mean, it's got that kind of very Art yeah. Deco sort of feel about it. I, I remember the trucks used to be really beautiful, pink and, yeah. and pastel greens yeah. and things.
4: If anything, I'd make it more retro. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd, I think go, I'd yeah. I, I'd want to uh, inspire some of that that nostalgia. Mm. Uh, Kieran and I actually worked on a on um, Kirks, the the soft drink brand, and. The, the strategy we used for that was about nostalgia. So, in the 1970s, uh, so we, the target was baby boomers. In the 1970s, soft drink used to get delivered in a crate to people's homes. Like milk got, used to get delivered by the milk. I know, right? The milk companies, oh, who, yeah. like, like so, so dairy farmers and, you know, that have, have, you know, people that worked as, as milkos and they deliver. It would
3: be a big mixed crate of flavours.
2: Yes. Yeah, I actually or, I, I remember this. Like when I grew up in um, in Harvey Bay, which is like in Queensland, we had exactly the same. Because you were right. twenty
3: years behind. So. Yeah.
2: yeah, you would get the the sugar would would rise, and you'd have little floaty sugar bits like in there.
4: But again, that was so Kirks was the the Queensland brand, mm. but in Sydney we had uh, Crystal and X in Melbourne. Yeah, um, but there was a whole there, there was, was a, a whole, whole, whole range of bra- different brands,
3: brands, brands in each state. Yes. Were, yeah. But the big thing
4: big big is, people big. didn't remember what the brand was; they did remember the. experience experience. So, yeah. you know, when we relaunched Kirk's, we created nostalgia and people, a lot of people assumed that Kirk's was the brand they grew up with, whether it was or not.
3: But we essentially faked it because it wasn't the brand they grew up with for most of them. Mm. But it was deliberate because... Like, but we, we, to we just amplifies the it.
4: Sense, amplified the sense of nostalgia and I think that that's really... Um, Uh, And nostalgia is a really powerful motivator. I mean, we were talking earlier about political motivation and, you know, the the whole idea, oh, it was better when I was a kid, Mm. you know, and that's a really powerful motivator Mm. for people. Now, whether it actually was better when you were a kid or not, you know, is debatable, but that doesn't mean that your emotional response is based on any rational... You know, data that you you can draw on, but mm. it's it, we do have a, a a feeling of nostalgia if we've had a happy childhood.
3: Yeah, I didn't know whether we should keep green sleeves or not. You know, it was, we could partner with sure. Spotify, so like Uber it shows up playing your music. But I mean, we had a long, we weren't sure about you know how much do you keep the signature tune. But if you're ordering, doesn't matter.
0: I know some brands are coming out now with sonic branding. It's almost mm. like green sleeves is there.
2: <laughs> that was the original Sonic
0: no, no, right? so, so we've created, out yeah. Elevator music.
3: And they've had new brand mnemonics with auditory. Hotels have signature scents. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, look, and, and t- you know, experiential tactile stuff is really important, but the name is hilarious. Mm. It means we can charge more, yeah, basically, because sure. so it's Sonic. <laughs>
2: I heard about <laughs> it's this.
3: It's not region. soundbite. It's a good
2: word, though, Sonic. I heard it's a good word. I, I heard about this really interesting experiment that kind of leans into what you guys were talking about before, and that's implanting memories in people. So uh, this researcher would talk about um, basically disney world and you saw goofy and all of these things yeah. and the people who went to disney world actually never saw goofy but then when they asked them to remember that experience they would say i'd seen goofy so essentially are you building nostalgia that doesn't actually exist for these new people yeah. that are coming into the market but they they feel a connection to
3: that are Yeah. You it's like rite of passage you know it's, it becomes you can't have summer without a mr whippy it's essential, and you want parents—you know—paranoid parents who don't want to give their kid anything. You want mm. them to go, "Well, I now have permission because it's a rite of passage for childhood. Mm. Like I can't—you can't let your kid grow up without a Mr. Whippy every now and then on a hot day, because otherwise you don't get past that gatekeeper, who's you know not going to give their kid anything, which is great. But you know, I again, mean when you have to get past that gatekeeper mindset with a really good justification called it's part of a happy childhood. And, and the, a lot of junk food sells in that strategy, I guess. Is So,
4: the thing about Kirk's was baby boomers were buying it, but they weren't buying it for themselves. They were buying it for their grandkids, so the grandkids had the experience they had. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, there's this, there's this whole wanting to pass on, oh, I remember running outside for the Mr. Whippy. My kid should have that experience too now.
3: Which is what we want to give them. You know, We want to give them the things we loved. Like sure. we want to no, give our-
4: salted sugar. It's not good for the kids. <laughs> However, the the, the, the experience them, is what I'm looking to pass on, and the joy. Yeah, exactly. You know, and- it's
3: why you know why ritual and tradition and stuff becomes so big in family. It's we pass those things on, and it's it's very motivating. And you know, people really want to give. So we're working with uh, a really big group of entrepreneurs one day, and there was a woman put her hand up, and she sold food for kids with allergies. Right, was like, I sell gluten free or whatever, you know, low salt, depending what they're allergic to. Mm. And she was really struggling with any communication. She's like, all my newsletters are boring. Like, yeah. hey, here's some yummy gluten free choc chip cookies this week. And we said, well, who's your who's your customer? Because most people actually don't know who their customer is, particularly entrepreneurs. And she was like, oh, parents with kids with allergies. i mean, no, no, really who's your like who buys. And she said, so when she dug in, she, it came out that mums do the majority of the buying. And we're like, well, what's going on for their mums? What are they actually buying? Do they care about – what do you sell most of? So, again, look for the volume if you're not sure as an entrepreneur. And she said, oh, I sell most junk food or, well, you know, less healthy. Treat food. Treat food. Yeah. I sell most of it. i like, well, that's really interesting. Why do you think that is? And once we did get dug in, what we realised is, again, people didn't want their child with an allergy to miss out on the childhood they had. So, the biggest trigger fear was my kid's a freak at the birthday party. Like it's their birthday or, you know, they've worked really hard this week at school and I really want them to have a cookie or I want them to have something nice. So, they were spending money on the treat because it was as much a part of the childhood.
4: And part of the psychological motivation for that was avoiding social isolation. Mm. You know, you don't want to be the kid at the party going, oh, I'm gluten intolerant, right? You want to be the kid who has as much fun as any other child. Yeah. And actually, what she was selling was a normal childhood to kids with allergies,
0: and, also and that's a whole lot more
4: compelling sure. than than here's a gluten-free cookie. Do, do you know what I mean? Yes. And so, so in other words, again, coming you know, there's full circle coming back to what's what sits behind the emotional response that people are looking to 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 enjoy. You know, what's what's actually driving that behavior is really important to understand why
3: the why. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What do what what do we? J- trigger in human behavior what is it about getting an ice cream from a truck that shows up to our house
2: well in this case it's a man in a tuk-tuk which well, is quite interesting can you have
3: a mrs
0: whippy
2: <laughs> or a mrs whippy yeah sorry that was just gender bias right there straight oh, away i, like, I apologize for that be the, be the
0: best whippy you can be vince that's it. Be the best whippy you can be. But did you did –
4: you Ms. Think Whippy's a different service.
2: <laughs> <though>? <laughs> well, that could be a man also. <laughs> um, <Drag laughs> I reckon you could charge more. Drag yeah, queen totally. <laughs> Drag
3: queen whippies would be awesome, just no, saying.
2: Actually, yeah. The, the aesthetic is very similar in you the, know, the pink pinks. Hair and the, yeah, totally. It would be
3: fantastic because, you know, you could absolutely dress up the people running the whippy more for that experience. Mm. But you don't want to be creepy, kid scary. Yeah, not you know, it. Like not, creepy clowns. Not the clown, yeah. No oh, clowns. I love clowns. No, clowns are scary. We've gotten onto How do you sell clowns? That's your next brief. <laughs> that is the next brief. I think we'll take yeah, that I one. I like that idea. Yeah. clowns. Oh, no, clowns really aren't creepy. People hiding their personalities behind makeup and big shoes. Why big shoes? People are so to amused. She's
2: looking at Dan like he knows the answer.
3: Oh, I thought he might. He'll have some smart hands.
2: <laughs> would Would you Would you keep the the tuk tuk or does it ne- need to go back to van? I,
3: I yeah. I, I. Was, A, I went hygiene. <laughs> I you go, the
2: diesel and the. <laughs> I like,
1: Do you oh. know, I think the
3: and does it give you enough variety? Because I actually think the repeat business need. Mm. Uh, and do you get enough sound quality, and and is it visible enough? I don't know. I'm not sure about the tuk tuk because of nostalgia.
4: Although although it it does like I used to live That's in Italy, system. and and um, you know in Italy they have the motocaro, mm. which is the single front wheel, which is it's it's a tuk tuk but with an Italian flavour. Mm. So I mean you could almost do a competing offer around. It's all about the gelato, which is a slightly different style of ice cream, and you know you could build some some nostalgia mm. around that. Which is really interesting. I mean, I, I yeah, always I found the the, the van the van's always a bit weird because you, you you're driving through a street with children running out to a van <laughs> with such so, you know to 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 get you know hang out with some anonymous man ha- handing out All sweets woman, or woman and woman, no it was yeah. always a man I know it was usually a man but to be. But, but again today there might be to, today it, yeah I know but uh, we're talking nostalgia here um, and. Uh, So, I always found that a little bit creepy.
3: But Santa's creepy too. Oh, Santa's deeply creepy. Most kid things are deeply (laughs) creepy. Let's face it, think clowns, Santa, Mr. Whippy. Put your your child on a
4: strange man's lap.
3: And and get him to whisper secrets.
4: (laughs) And and whisper secrets to him. (laughs) I know. Don't tell mum and dad. (laughs) I know. Santa is deeply creepy.
3: (laughs) Creepy. It's all creepy, really.
4: Yeah. No, but but I, I actually think the... In in some ways, the, the 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 tuk-tuk opportunity does allow for for greater visual recognition and and, well, and, distinctiveness greater, and, and and
3: speed and accessibility so we know like the ambulances were transformed by on, having motorbikes that could get through traffic faster mm. so one of the big shifts in emergency services has been in the introduction of motorbikes mm. and the technology that allowed them to be able to put enough technology into the motorbikes so those motorbikes are highly technical mm. uh, that allow them to get to a scene fast mm. and be able to start treatment yes they still need the ambulance to show up but if they can get a bike through fast and they can so it's that same thing I would say you still want to mix because you want the whole experience sometimes but for speed and you know be able to get down a laneway in the city or yeah you probably want a bit of both I think I don't think I'd go one single way with it totally yeah. that would be me because I think the vans and the ability for it to show up and have scale and you know, that nostalgia. I mean, you could even push it to have, like you know, they that, could yeah. put chairs and tables out. Like, how do you, you could park it there for a whole day? And you and could actually like a increase, it could be a pop up and they could do that as well, where you go, I'm going to hire Mr. Whippy for my event and it's a whole pop up experience. Mm, mm. So I potentially go, how do you go faster, nimble and more, you know, detailed and, and more engagement?
2: Would you go as far as opening up transit lanes for Mr. Whippies?
3: Oh, totally
2: need that express It's Just for the smiling
3: pile of pool emoji on the ground, if nothing else. <laughs>
2: yeah, we can make them rainbow lanes. That I mean sounds you could good.
3: make Mr. Whippy emoji. It would be cool. Yeah. The rainbow unicorn pooping. You could call him with it. Well Domino's made emoji calls. Yeah.
4: I mean you know I, I I think there's enough people in the motorcycle bus lane at the <laughs> moment. So I'd I'd like to keep people out of that. Oh, well, he's next possible. and I'm not oh. sure you want
3: to do you want to drone in Whippy? <laughs>
4: You do you know what I'd it like could to see whip
3: from the air. <laughs>
4: I'd like to see lanes allocated by tax bracket. You know, so if you pay more tax than anyone else, you get the, the, you, the lane get the with the least traffic lane. in it. Yeah, I'm yeah. paying for it, yeah, absolutely.
3: Oh yeah, because that would that mm. would create social
2: I'm rest. okay. I'm okay with that.
3: Yeah, social love.
2: <laughs> Everyone would be in favour of that, totally.
3: Yeah, yeah they,
0: they
2: sure. wouldn't stone That's
3: also you. A good yeah, idea,
2: is, yeah. Is, uh, splitting up yeah,
4: yeah you live three minutes from the city, I live an hour
2: away. Shut up.
3: Whose <laughs> fault's that?
2: Yeah, oh. shouldn't have bought that house out
3: <laughs> You know where you could afford it Free tonight. will, Dan, free will
0: <laughs> Well, you guys uh, killed it uh, You did did very well Oh, we're um, getting a review And <laughs> so
3: advertising, they wanted free work, just saying Yeah,
0: but well that's the thing We are actually going to package this up into a slide deck And <laughs> post it out <laughs> with, yeah. with, with, your with your permission to Mr a Whippy A slide deck
3: Yeah, yeah. Excellent oh. um, Yeah, of course Mr. Whippy. Hey, Mr Whippy
0: Yeah
2: one, one last question. When you approached this task, what was the – how did you go about it? Did you instantly just gravitate to talk together or did you both split apart and go and think about it? No, we. Sp- it
3: for this one, we probably more for time and efficiency, we split apart. But we both actually came – so we like to go – What's the what's the fundamental issue that we're solving, which is why we broke it down yeah. into into yeah. words. Like it's an accessibility seasonality issue, and I think we do enough of that. Yeah. You sometimes you jump too fast into well, we could make you know clever whippy puns because it's funny and yes. it's pink and we could do all these fun things with it. But when you really go, what's the business problem we're solving? Mm. Um, and when you're not paid by. We don't need them to buy an ad. Mm. We actually go, the fundamental business problem is an accessibility problem. Mm. So, then you can go, well, you can dig into that. So, I think we both came to the same fundamental issue that we would want to solve. So, that's that's but, the process. But I think when
4: we work, we, we tend to work independently and then come together. I, I think we like to allow each other time to get some, some clear thinking before we pollute each other's ideas with something one person's come up with so i think that's actually really useful is to have that 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 time to work independently Some as well people as together. Are different but yeah.
3: yeah i think we both uh like to have our own processing time for thinking yeah so that's that's our technique the same when we're writing books or you know we will kind of you know take bits and work on them and swap them over so we find that highly useful i hate brainstorming kill me now do not brainstorm It's just like, I want to stab people.
2: Yeah, why would you want to walk into a storm, right? Yeah. Well, it's rarely a storm. It's more like a brain light
4: shower most yeah. of the time. Well, because oh. well, what happens is, you know, you end up having the same predictable ideas come up every time, as opposed to no, 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 no. What if you went away independently and actually invested some time in thinking, and then brought that thinking to the table as a group
3: to to test and stretch. And mm, I yeah. prefer, mm. you know, come prepared. Not hey, we've just got you with some pizza and sugar. Yeah. In the sem- and a whiteboard with some coloured markers, and we're all going to pretend we're creative. for a
0: minute and
3: then the safest idea and then when the safest well and then everyone's going oh no no, it's just i don't think it's fundamentally a good strategy and
4: there are better methodologies to stretch people's thinking and i and i think some some pre-work and giving people some uh, an idea to play with or build on or pull apart is often better than just go okay standing start go what do you got
3: yeah it's really hard in the moment for people to solve something. And again, you know, we don't do enough deep thinking, I think, or let our people do enough deep thinking. And you look different personality types. Some people really like to hang in a group and brainstorm, I think. But I think it was a convenient way to try to be efficient. I don't know if it leads to great ideas, usually.
2: Mm. Last question. Do you guys have any go-to methodologies that you actually use? I mean, you, you mentioned just before there are some... Uh, methodologies that you can kind of go to to kick off the ideation process, whatever it may be.
3: So, American process. Yeah. Uh, well, no,
2: just just go for it, whatever no, fit, fits. I
3: fits. I,
4: I, I, no, I think... I think there are, know. and I think there are um, processes that sort of um, become more intuitive over time. You know, I, you know again, we're referencing Simon Reynolds. You know, Simon Reynolds taught... Everyone who came sort of through the creative industries at that time, the box method, which was 20 20 boxes on a page, an idea in every box. You don't leave the table till you've filled an idea in every box. And Kieran and I will do hundreds of those, typically. But what we found over time is you kind of, you do a lot of that internally now. And what it does is it helps you not be attached to your first or your second or your third idea, but helps you get beyond that default thing. Because one of the biggest problems we have is, is you know, we, the, the human brain is a heuristic system. In other words, we look for shortcuts, you know, and we like shortcuts. We go, well, I've solved that kind of problem in this way before, therefore I've done it very efficiently. And the problem with those shortcuts is it doesn't get you necessarily to anything new or anything innovative. And I think having a, a a process that allows for a volume of ideas without judgment. So, yeah. get you know, get everything out of your head, even if it's shit, and and then going back and, and bringing judgment to the table at a later date when you've generated volume, I think is a useful process. And we,
3: we use a couple of processes. One we call Mind the Gap, which is the behavior gap. So, we're really interested in what people say they do and what they actually do and what's the gap. So how, and how do we close it? Mm. So people say because I've heard them in research groups that they don't eat McDonald's.
2: <laughs> we all know that's a lie. And then we go to a
3: food court <laughs> and we see the longest queues in McDonald's. Yep.
2: I just I so just to, So what, So
3: what's going on with that? It's why mm. McDonald's have salad salad on the menu because we can say we get salad from McDonald's. Plausible deniability. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That's why it's there. No one. I have ordered one once and they went to the back. It was like oh, my God, someone's ordered a salad. It's never happened before in the history of McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's may, they may go, actually, we have a high volume of salads. Uh, so we use a behaviour gap methodology and it can also work with, you know, what's the current behaviour and what's the desired behaviour and, and what's the gap. So, you know, current behaviour is we like Mr Whippy but we can't actually get it. Mm. So the desired behaviour is to get it readily and fast and at volume. So what's the gap? The gap's and, accessibility. And for
4: us, the reason we call ourselves the Impossible Institute is we've got a methodology around asking an impossible question, and and it it was based on high school maths, which is so up until year seven or year eight they say you can't take the square root of a negative number, then. Around year seven, year eight, they say, actually, we're going to let the square root of negative one equal i, and a whole branch of mathematics becomes be possible that make wasn't make before.
3: Believe in mathematics is awesome, right? Mm.
4: So, so we do that with with a lot of the a lot of the problems we're, we're looking to solve for, for clients is is what are you not even thinking to ask because you're so limited by what you've done in in the past, and you know, so we had you know we were working with. Um, with one of the big banks, who had a problem with, with they had so many people on hold, uh, being put on hold, and people don't like being put on hold. They get angry, and then their staff get angry, and then there's a, it's this you know terrible circle. And they said, we want you to come in and run a performance program for our people to get them, so they get people on and off the phone more quickly. And we said, well, that's probably not going to help the problem. We said, what if we changed the question? What if we said, what would it take for people to want to be put on hold? And what that does is it allows you to get onto the other side of something impossible just to see what's what's there. And we talked about a whole bunch of ideas if we gamified the process. So you're on hold for two minutes, you get a reward. You're on hold for five minutes, you get a reward. We talked about getting uh, one of the, the record labels in something Australia. Something worth listening to. On you, know, someone, you know, they get all of their artists to record an unplugged version of their song and the only place you can hear it is in the on hold music for this, this bank. People who weren't even customers would ring up and ask to be put on hold. But you only get there by being willing to suspend, the, you know, the limits of what's possible long enough to explore the other side. And so having, and again, people don't naturally think that way. You, so you, you, you know, and particularly, you know, Kieran does a lot of work with the corporate world on helping corporate people solve problems in way using methodologies to solve problems in ways they haven't seen before. And if they've come from an accounting background or an engineering background or or, or, or manufacturing background, they don't necessarily think that they're creative. Mm. And so oftentimes you need to give people a process that helps them unlock yeah, uh, a creativity that out. they've got, but they've kind of shut down or ignored.
3: We also use, I guess, a brutal honesty process we call the selling stack. So we go, and look again, this is... A lot of entrepreneurs and startups don't ever do this work and they don't know what they're selling. So, we say, what are you literally selling? So, literal's at the bottom of the stack. Uh, a lot of people absolutely don't know who their customer is and what they're selling. The, we, we were working with the events industry, actually. They were a great example. And they said, we're in, in entertainment and we said, Well, that's really interesting. Where do you make the money when you put on like the car show or whatever? Do you make it on ticket sales at the door? And they said, No, no, we make all the money on advertisers who mm. show up and buy a booth. And we're like, Wow, that's really interesting. You're not in entertainment, you're in media. Mm. They were so upset. Because <laughs> they like entertainment. It's sexy, it's fun. They're like, But we're creative and we're in entertainment.
4: See entertainment's their product. Yeah. But the customer is the advertiser. Yeah. They think their customer is the person coming to the event. Mm. And no, no, the that's whole, the problem. The whole They're selling engineered those eyeballs. incorrectly
3: because yeah. they don't realise they're selling eyeballs. So we use that technique. So what are you literally selling? What are you emotionally selling? Which most people can work out in some level. But then we have a let's not kid ourselves, let's be brutally honest. What are you really selling? So that can become really interesting. Did
0: they end up changing their business model on that recommendation? <laughs> yeah. There's been some interesting conversations. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, but again, yeah. it can be quite challenging. Cause, and,
4: and a lot of people confuse Product and customer, and and we're, we're, one of the issues is we tend to be more in love with our product than we are with our customer, mm. and that's true of any industry. Like I, you know, you know, Kieran and I have a have a, a leadership and training development company, and we love our IP, mm. and we invest it's all amazing. our time in our <laughs> IP, and and if we if we spend more time loving our IP than we do loving the the clients that we work with. Mm. Well, that becomes a business problem. Because all all of a sudden we have lots of IP and not a lot of sales. And and I think that and I think that but I think that's a universal thing. People naturally fall in love with their craft or their or their product or their service or, or what what they've invested, you know, their, their life's profession in and not enough time in understanding, well actually the person who pays for this, what's going on in their world and how do I how do I link really tangibly to what to what they're after? I think
2: we've gone full circle.
0: Um, before we, we wrap up, do you guys want to plug plug the new book, plug plug your business?
2: Sure. Where can Social people writers. find you? I know. What find can you. they buy? Yeah. And, and what services Woo-hoo. do you offer? <laughs> well, you can oh, find the us at, uh, source, at
4: theimpossibleinstitute.com. Uh, we have a new book coming out in... I want to say June, is it June, June, K? it's June, June Wiley. It's called Forever Skills, uh, Future Proof Yourself, Your Team and Your Kids, which is all about what are the skills that will always matter no matter what happens in terms of change and technology.
3: Yeah, it's an anti-change alternate futurist book that gives us a different perspective, which is really fun. Uh, and we offer a lot of training programs uh, for companies that want to help people uh, increase their influence and increase their creativity. So how do we build that? And essentially, how do we change people's thinking and change the way things are done around here? That's what we spend our time and energy. So we train, we keynote speak, and we write books. So we're happy to help.
2: Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We enjoyed every second of this conversation. (laughs) I think our minds have been blown. Several times.
3: uh, Several times. Thanks for
2: having us. You have been listening to a Son of a Pitch podcast. My name is Vince. And my name is Max. And we're both planners living in Sydney, Australia. A big thanks to
0: Helga Diamond and Miami Ad School for supporting the show. And if you want to get that $100 fee waived for Miami Ad School, please drop us a line at podcastsoap at gmail.com. That's
2: podcastsoap at gmail.com. See you next time.
1: Bye. Yeah, uh, son of a pitch. Yeah, this is something you don't want to miss. Interviews with creatives and the best strategists. All the top in Australia who steady making moves. Uh The podcast that puts you right in the pitch room. Yeah, professionals in this market. Uh, Time to get it started. Uh, Giving some complex problems, so let's see how you can solve it. Tune in with some Aussies. I bet you can't resist. Yeah, yeah, get it hyped. This is son of a pitch.